What is up, everybody? Welcome to the After the Ride podcast. This is actually last week's episode. And if you want the newest episode, make sure to join my Patreon. To join, go to patreon.com slash standingthefireman. If not, enjoy this one. And all you have to do is wait for next week. I actually, I started riding. My first experience with a motorized two-wheel vehicle was in Italy in 1968. Uh, I, wow. I took a trip there with my father. And he rented, at that time, You, if you was 50 cc's or under, you didn't need a license. So it was, uh, those oh, bikes wow. were, or the scooter was uh, three speed. And I think it was the, the clutch and, and the gear shift was on the right side. And you'd shift from first to second to third. And then the, or it might've been the opposite. But anyway, that's, that's when I, my first experience. And I had it figured out in about three minutes because I really wanted to ride it. Uh, <laughs> and, th and then we came back home. It was a vacation. I, I got a, a mini bike and that was an automatic. And then, um, you know, that lasted maybe a year. And uh, let's see, back in 1974, I got my first a real motorcycle. Okay. And it was, I was At the time, I was going out with this girl whose father was uh, an avid motorcyclist. And uh, he gave me my initial instructions. So I bought a, a 19, I think it was a 1974 Honda CB404, which okay. was then a midsize bike. Now you would call it a pretty, pretty small bike. Uh, and he said to me, uh, just follow me. That was the, that was it. That was the only instructions I had. <laughs> and since I, you know, I, I knew how to shift and I knew uh, how the clutch worked and that, that went okay. Mm. Uh, I, I guess a couple of years later, I bought a 750 Honda and that compared to the 400, it felt like I was driving a car. Uh, and I had that for a couple of years. Then I stopped riding uh, for a while, but in 1998, uh, I bought a 750 Honda uh, Ace, Ace motorcycle because it looked very much like the the, the Harley. Uh, I think at the time it was the the Harley Heritage, but the Harley Heritage was like uh, they were they were fifteen grand from the factory, but they were getting twenty twenty five thousand bucks for them. So I wasn't about to spend that kind of money. Wow. Yeah, but I, I liked that look. I liked the classic American look. So I bought the Honda. It was only five grand. Rode that around for about a year, and then they started. A, one of the guys in, in the sheriff's office wanted to start a motor unit. So he, he got a, a grant from, from the, the federal government. And what they would do is if, if you tell them how many people or how many bikes you wanted, they gave you all the money for the motorcycles, the equipment, the uniforms, everything that you, that you needed uh, initially. And then after that, it, it, you were on your own. And I put in for it, but uh, it was a very political thing. So I, I didn't get it. And mm -hmm. as it worked out, they sent, they, by the way, they bought Honda Ace Tours because they were cheaper. They were like, uh, I think, 11 grand and the Harleys were 13,000. But the Harleys came with all the equipment. The Hondas, uh -huh. they, they had to convert to, to police work, which, which was, uh, it didn't work out so well. But anyway, that's, that's initially how we got it. And uh, I didn't get picked for the first squad, but one of the guys who did get picked broke his leg or his ankle, I think, the first week of training. Yeah. And it, and it was just dumb luck because I was walking into the sheriff's office and the major and the lieutenant were walking out. And the major says, Jerry, do you do you have a motorcycle license? I said, yeah, why? He says, well, we we down one guy. Would you like to be in the motor squad? I said, sure. So it's just dumb luck. But they yeah. couldn't send. They, they sent these guys down to Tampa to train. But that, since they were already a week into the course, I couldn't go down there. So I had to wait until uh they started a course up with the highway patrol. So it was 15 state troopers and me. And I knew it was going to be a tough time because state troopers and deputies always give each other a hard time. Oh yeah. And, and I went up there and the problem though was with the Honda, it was a 65 inch wheelbase with a 32 degree rake. And the course is set up for Harley Davidson's, which 
or 64 inch and 26 degree rake. So that meant that I had four inches to play with to make an error. Any more than four inches, if I was off, I couldn't do it. But in the end, it actually made me a better rider. And I would have the instructor get on the bike and ride it through the course. Because I figured if he could do it, I could do it. And, and that's that's pretty much how it went with just about every one of the exercises. As long as he could do it, I knew, you know, I could do it. And, of course, I dropped the bike a, a bunch of times the first two or three days. And after you get tired of picking the motorcycle up, uh, you start listening to what they're saying and using the proper techniques and <laughs> turning your head and eyes and using the friction zone, et cetera. So they didn't tell you just to just to follow me like your dad did? <laughs> no, they, but for the first day of training, some of these troopers, and I was shocked about this, some of these troopers never had been on a motorcycle in their life. I thought that everybody, you know, they would at least give them some kind of a test, but they didn't. So the, I, I talked to a few of these guys and I said, you know, I, I understand it's a pretty tough course. And you've never been on a motorcycle. They said, no, you know, as, as long as we're game to, to give it a try. So the first day of training, uh, they got us all lined up. The you know, troopers, they like this very military stuff. So they got yelled. The guy comes out and yells attention. Everybody stands at attention. And I look around. I, I got in there with him. I'm standing at attention. And this guy pulls up on a brand new police bike and he's dangling the keys. Does anybody here know how to ride a motorcycle? Now, I know enough not to volunteer yeah. for stuff, but because yeah. I've talked to some of these guys, I figured, well, maybe he knows that some of them didn't ride. So I raised my hand. He jumps in my face. He screams. And he says, you don't know shit about riding a motorcycle, but you're going to know if you make it through this course. And man, he was exactly right. The first day I found out I could have taken that 20 years of riding experience I thought I had and throw it in the garbage because it meant nothing. I had no technique at all. Yeah, I, I didn't have 20 years of riding experience, but I had maybe like five or six, uh, maybe seven. And when I took my first class, I felt almost the same way. I was like, man, I thought I knew a lot. I have a lot of miles, but I shoot all these new tips, turning your head, making sure you actually turn your head, all the primary controls. I learned so much more. Did that like help or hurt you um, when you went to the training? Like all the 20 years, like I know this, did it hurt you uh, in terms of trying to ride? And I don't think it hurt me. I, I had read books about it, uh, you know, using head and eyes and, and that type of thing. And I was already pretty good with uh, using the clutch. Mm-hmm. And, and I knew about uh, dragging the rear brake helps you to stabilize the bike at low speeds. I, I even thought that I was using my head and eyes, but uh, I found out I was using it just a tiny bit. Now I had to use it to the extreme. And once yeah. you get that, that's what turns it around for you to to know that when you snap that head around as far and fast as possible, the handlebars are going to follow. Oh, yeah. And are you doing in the training, is it like what we see on those videos of those police, uh, all those cones, they're going in those big old circles and stuff. Was that like scary for you to, to actually do something like that? Yeah, well, the, the motor office, of course, is pretty much the same around the entire yeah. country. But yeah, way, it, 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 all the exercises are the same. Now, occasionally, they'll add different ones, and we did that as well. But pretty much the, the basic uh, motor officer course is the same no matter where you go around the country. You start with the low-speed stuff. But anyway, uh, we were, oh, yes, all the motor officer courses are the same, and they're all based on 18 feet, which is why if you watch any of the stuff on YouTube, you see these guys falling a lot because 18 feet is tough no matter what, what kind of bike you're on. But being that I was on the Honda, it was even harder for me. In fact, when I got off, uh, I had to take the Honda in one day for service while the course was going on, and they gave me a Harley. And I said, oh, man, you guys are kidding me. This is a dirt bike in comparison. It turned so much sharper than than the Honda did. But it actually made me a better rider to to start off with on the Honda. because Then I could get on any motorcycle. I, I knew in my head that the techniques worked, and they work on every motorcycle. Some it's a little tougher than others, depending on how long the motorcycle is. Yeah. 
No, so uh, you you did you finally jump? When did you jump to Harley then? Because you you've been riding Hondas your whole life then at this point. Pretty much in in two thousand that was nineteen ninety nine when we started the course, and then uh, the bikes wound up after they put all the equipment on. They cost uh, I think they got like twelve eight in them, and you could buy the Harley for thirteen. And at the time, the thing of, of the Harley was you bought it one time. And then the next year you gave them that bike and $1 and you got a brand new Harley because the, oh, wow. the shortage of Harley Davidson's was just tremendous, the supply and demand. So the dealers wanted a used bike because they had no new bikes to sell. So they could take that used police bike as long as it was in decent condition and had less than 10,000 miles. And they could sell it for 20 grand, even though the <laughs> brand new one was 17 because you couldn't get a new one. You had to wait a year and they would charge people five, ten thousand dollars over list. So that was in, I think, 2000 was when we, we moved to the Harley Davidson's. Uh, but at the time, I still had a Honda and I think I had a Kawasaki because I wasn't going to pay the, the, the premium that they were asking for that. My my. The theory is don't never pay more than retail. Try to get it for wholesale. And there <laughs> yeah. was, you know, they, I don't know if you remember that, but in the, the late 90s, up until 2005, Harley was getting, the dealerships were getting five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 over list because they, the supply so, so outweighed the demand. Uh, there was a dealer up here. He had a Road King in 2003. It was the anniversary edition. The list was seventeen five, and they had thirty seven five on it, and they sold it in five minutes as soon as they put it on the floor. Now I hate to be that. Everybody thought that, that was going to be a collector's item because they were a special uh, silver and black color. Of course, they actually made them six months into the following year. So there's more of those around than any kind of Harley. <laughs> I'm wondering if that's where the uh, the Harley Davidson, like the HD hundred dollar type thing, or why they're so expensive. It was maybe the supply and demand back in the day. Um, I don't, maybe it's a marketing thing. I don't know. I don't know, but it, they're still expensive. <laughs> oh, oh no, no question about it. But back then it was even more, you know, if it, you can consider it now it's a bargain, you, you know, depending on where you go and what time of year you can mm -hmm. get a, a discounts on Harley's. Then forget about it from, from the mid nineties up until 2005, they were getting over list price plus forcing you to, I, I've told stories about this. There was a deal here in Clearwater. He charged you $1,500 just to put your name on a list to get a Harley Davidson. Wow. And it didn't go towards the, the price of the motorcycle. When no? the bike came, yeah, no, what? it was $1,500. And then when it came in, you had to pay, you had to buy another $1,500 worth of accessories. Plus they charge you dealer prep. And that was like six or $700. It was like a license to print money. But yeah. I, I don't, I don't blame the dealers for that. It's supply and demand. If a person yeah. is willing to pay that much more for it, you know, if you sold, if you got a house worth a hundred grand and somebody offers you 200 grand for it, you're going to take it. You know, that's yeah. the way it is. Yeah. Uh, that's shoot. Capitalism, all that, all that yeah. stuff. Um, man, the people really bought in then they really bought into Harley's cause it's like you had to literally buy in and buy accessories to, to be into the Harley stuff. Um, it was a status thing for so many people. And when it goes back to the, the, uh, the police bikes, the Harley bikes, and they, they kind of made it really easy for, I guess, uh, police departments to get a Harley and then basically trade it back in for a dollar and get a new Harley. Um, do you think Harleys are, are some of the better bikes for police work? Or do you think maybe like an adventure bike or anything like that might be better? Well, I guess it depends, you know, how you look at it. We spent 10 to 12 hours a day on that motorcycle. Uh -huh. um, it, and it was a very comfortable bike. Granted, it's not, you know, there's a lot faster motorcycles. There's a lot of bikes that handle much better at, at high speeds. But it's, it's a, a comfortable motorcycle. It carries a lot of stuff. And believe me, the paperwork, you wouldn't believe it was probably... At least a hundred pounds worth of junk you're carrying oh, in your yeah. bags, 
I, oh, I've yeah. ridden the the, the BMW uh, police bike, the 1200RT, and I found that in about two hours, my knees were killing me. My hands would fall asleep because you're leaning on your hands. It's it's not as bad as a sport bike, but it just it doesn't have the comfort. And and the adventure bikes, you know, they're so tall. I'm I'm uh, five foot seven. And the, you know, you've got a seat height of 34 inches. You're just oh, balancing yeah. on one foot. So, in fact, it, the BMW came to our agency and, and they offered uh, three free BMW Adventure Tours with all the equipment, including uh, infrared cameras. I mean, everything you could think wow. of for free. And as long as you had a port in your town and an airport, you could get these bikes for free. And our sergeant, who didn't ride at all, said... Uh, uh, no, thanks. We don't want them. I said, Sarge, they're free. I mean, how do you turn yeah. them out free? But he was just an idiot. He, he just hated. He knew that we wanted it. So, of course, he wouldn't nah. take it. But it would have nah. been nice to have both the bikes because we have a lot of dirt roads and stuff around here. And we could have had some fun with it. And he knew that, which is why he, he turned BMW down. I said, no, we don't want your free bikes. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I would think adventure bikes would definitely work really well, especially on those dirt roads if you have to go down those dirt roads. Um, our Harleys, like, just... They're just comfy. Is that is that kind of why you guys went with them, or police departments went with them? They're just comfy and hold a lot. Um, uh, that and and the courses, the police courses are all set up with the Harley Davidson in mind, with the wheelbase and rake. Okay. Uh, plus, they were inexpensive. Now, as the years went on, it got to be. I think the second time we bought them, we had to pay five hundred dollars. Then it went up to four thousand dollars. You know, <laughs> as the supply met demand, and they really didn't need your police bike. It got more and more expensive. To, it got to where today most agencies are leasing them because okay. they don't want to pay the initial buy-in. But still, they were, they were you know, today a 2020 police bike, an, an agency could buy a Road King for $17,000 with all the equipment on it. I believe oh. that's still at least a couple of grand under the oh, BMW yeah. or some of the other bikes. That's pretty cheap for a, a bike with all the bells and whistles. Yes, um, and, and, and I, I have, uh, that, that's why I buy them for my personal use. That if, in order to get a brand new one, you have to have uh, either be a, a teaching agency, which I, which I am, or, or have an escort agency. And I've got that license as well. So I'm able to go in and, and order a, a police Harley Davidson. I'm paying more than 17 for him. I can't, I'm not allowed to say what I pay for, yeah. but it's <laughs> a lot less. It. <laughs> it's a lot less than if I bought the civilian bike and people are always, and I have the, I keep the lights and sirens and everything on them. And, and I always get, uh, People ask me, well, why do you have the, the lights and sirens? And we have them because we do our shows and we use the lights and sirens mm -hmm. when we start our shows and at the end of the show. But I love to tell people, people hate this. They'll come up to me at bike night. Is that a police bike? Yeah, I'm a retired police officer. But you're allowed to have the lights and sirens? I said, well, yeah, the sheriff says, you know, once we retire, if, if uh, you buy your own police bike, you can go out and work traffic and you get to keep half the money from the tickets. And they go, well, that doesn't sound right. I said, what are you talking about? It sounds great to me. I paid the bike off in a month. And they get so mad. I tell oh, them. no. But of course, it's just a BS story, but I love yeah. to screw with people. <laughs> That's funny. So, I mean, you 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 take your bike, that bike, to uh, your trainings. So um, I, I don't know too much about uh, how you set it up, but I know you have a bunch of locations and you, and you do a lot of training. And I actually know a few people that have taken your training. They're like, oh, my gosh, I learned so much about slow speed, especially younger women with giant bikes. Like mm -hmm. they're super scared of that. But then I see them do it and it's great. So do you take that bike? Is that your training bike or do you have like a specific bike that you want to show uh, um, smaller people, I guess? Or Well, I, I, I have three of them. I've got an Ultra. Uh, okay. I've got an Electric Glide police bike and a Road King police bike. And, and we split it up and, and uh, 
it doesn't matter which one we use, but that's mainly we, we, we ride Harley Davidson. People think I'm a Harley nut. I'm really not, but 90% of the people that come to me are riding Harley Davidson's. So they like to see the exercises demonstrated on a Harley. So they know that yes, my bike will do that. And I specifically have my wife. I talk to the people and, and, and she does all the demonstrations, but she's five foot three and 120 pounds. And when they see, and I tell them if little girls can do it, you know, how hard could this be? Because they always have in their mind that it's the bike is so big and heavy that that, that means nothing. It's technique. Once you have technique, I, I tell people that, you know, the, the size and strength of the rider or the weight of the motorcycle has no bearing as long as you know the three techniques that we teach. And I based my entire course is set up like the motor officer course, except it's okay. 24 feet because that's what you have out on the road. Uh, you know, average street is uh, lane is 12 feet. So if you want to make a U-turn, you got 24 feet to do it. So I base everything on the 24 feet. And of course, that also limits the amount of drops that you get. You know, if I put people in at 18 foot, yeah, they're going to be dropping their bike all over the place, just like yeah. the cops are. And I don't want to do that. Plus, I found that using 24 feet, it's still a challenge for them. And in four or five hours, they get the hang of the techniques. If I've got 10 riders, eight of them got the hang of it and can do all the exercises uh, in the end of four or five hours. And I'll always get a couple who, you know, really shouldn't be at the class. Maybe they're not ready for an advanced course. They should have taken, you know, like, like an MSF uh, experience rider course or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I'll have them come back and I'll even give them a, a private lesson. And that seems to work out well for them. So you, from your police background, um, I have my, I have a fire background, so I, I understand a, a little bit with the public safety and, uh, I take from what I know from my firefighter background. So a lot of the medical, uh, a lot of the mechanism of injury, a lot of the crash stuff. I, I, my goal is to protect the actual, like the human, um, when it comes to the police work and then how you, uh, do your, uh, training sessions and and everything what what is it like one of the biggest things that you pulled from your police background that you really try to impart on your students well it's it's, it's really just the techniques that's what i'm drilling okay. into their head and, and one of the hardest thing is to get people to turn their head because they want the, the brain you know the three techniques are the opposite of your instinct your instincts tell you all the wrong things on a motorcycle. Your instincts say, look at the thing you don't want to hit. Mm -hmm. and, and I tell them that, you know, you've got to turn your head. And, and once you do, and once they get that in their head, that the bike, it, your hands will follow your eyes. It's it's amazing to see the turnaround, which usually happens in, in about uh, two hours. But uh, that's, that's what I teach them. And I also tell them about the 12 second rule, which is when you're out on the street, look 12 seconds ahead. And on yeah. the street, the head and eyes technique is the most important. You're not going to be using the friction zone in the rear brake, to, but you're going to be using your head and eyes. And to get that through their head, to look for the escape path, to look through the end of the turn, position yourself where you have the best view around the turn. And those type of things I stress. And, of course, braking using both front and rear brakes because so many people are driving a car. They want to use that rear brake. Thank yeah. God for ABS because that's that stopped a lot of accidents. Because people used to just jam on that rear brake yep. and slide onto the ground. Yeah, so the, the whole translation from a car to a bike, you, you you tend to see that a lot in in your trainings where they'll just slam that brake because they're used to their foot. So that you see that a lot on yours. Uh, I've seen it a lot, and it is getting less and less now as as uh, more bikes are coming with ABS because it's difficult. You know, you, you get when with ABS, if you really slam on that rear brake, you get a little chirp, but it just mm. lasts for a split second. And I still occasionally see that, but I know that, you know, uh, I test them with their, with their front and rear brakes so that they realize that as long as the bike is straight up, you could just, you can slam down on those brakes as hard as you want. And the bike is going to stay straight up. 
you can't do it with the bike leaning though. Now they even have the cornering ABS, oh, yeah. which, which I have on my own bike, but I, I actually haven't tested it yet. I can't get it through <laughs> my head that I can be leaning over, you yeah. know, scraping the boards and slam those brakes on and, and it's not going to low slide. I got, I got to <laughs> keep working on that and, and actually test that. But that's what they say. Yeah. I, I definitely would only want to use that in emergencies. I, I, I don't want to activate cornering ABS or anything like that. Yeah. If I can help it. Um, the whole setup before the turn, you know, going through the turn, uh, you know, smoothly is very important. I, I like the fact that you focus on the head and eyes and then the 12 second rule. And then you're pointing out within that 12 second rule, all the little things that you need to see and focus on and not focus on. You don't want to focus on, you know, the cool things on the side of the road while you're driving. You want to f- grab that, let go, grab that, let go. Um, do you really, really, really emphasize that? Because I was watching your ride-along type stuff where you're talking about what to look for. Do mm-hmm. you emphasize that a lot when it comes to actual street riding? Yes. and In fact, I, I, I teach them that in the course by I have a series of cones. They're all orange except for the, the cones that they're supposed to look at, which have a green tip on them. And, and I, I get it through their head that your brain is going to tell you to, way too late to look for that point where you want to make the turn. So mm-hmm. I tell them, you need to look for that green cone. When I say green cone, at that very second, and they're still really far from that cone and they can't get that through their head. But after three or four tries, they realize because if they wait till their brain tells them to look for that point, it's too late and they'll ride right out of the exercise. But once I get that through their head to, to look for that place that you want to put that front tire, and the sooner you look for it, the better. And we yeah. even show them on some of my videos. In fact, my my ride like a pro video, I show them in slow motion when they're supposed to look at that point. And it's way before you ever get there because if you're, whatever's happening in front, 10 feet in front of your bike, there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, there's nothing. You, I, I like to talk about like the, uh, like a ratcheting strap. You know, you're looking at your exit coming back or looking at your exit coming back, kind of like a ratchet strap. Um, I like that green cone thing. I, I, that's, that's something I never even thought about having somebody actually look at it when you say look at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I use a PA system, so uh, most of the time, <laughs> so they can hear me, you know, because a lot of them come to the class with uh, with some pretty loud pipes. So I've got a thousand watt speaker. So when I say green cone or turn your head, you know, they know to do it. I, I some people are very stubborn about that. In fact, my wife was, and I had to get one of those electric collars I put on her. You know, I, I trained my dog with, <laughs> and when she didn't turn her head, no, I didn't do that. I, I thought about it. I didn't do it. <laughs> Oh man, that would get me in trouble. <laughs> teaching, teaching my wife this stuff was like a day at the beach. Oh, it was uh, just wonderful. Was I did beautiful. have bite marks on the barrel of my gun. Because, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. But once oh, she got awesome. it, she got it. And, and uh, in fact, I'll tell you a funny story. How I taught my wife and, and I wanted her to be in the top 2%, like a motor officer. Uh-huh. For about a year or so, she was in, I would say, the top 5%. And I needed to get her that extra step and I, I couldn't figure out how to do it because, you know, you can't, if you, if you show you're impatient or you're, yeah. you know, you couldn't do that. So I was making a ride like a pro four video that I have. And I heard about this couple that were motor officer trained. It was a, a guy and his wife and they came to the class and she had this really beautiful CVO yellow bike. And I'd never met them before, but uh, you know, I was hoping that she did good because she was little and, and pretty just like my wife. And when she got there, I said to her, you've been motor officer trained. You know, I've heard this stuff before. And she says, yeah. So the, the toughest exercise, I actually had the motor officer course set up when they came there. And I had the 18 foot keyhole, which is 
18 feet around with a five foot inches point. It's, the, it's about the toughest thing on the motor office course. I say, you think you could do that with your bike? So she says, yeah, I think so. So she pulls into the left and she does a perfect circle and pulls out, doesn't hit a single cone. I said, mm, can you do it to the right? She does it to the right. It was beautiful. So awesome. I, I, I used her in as a demonstration along with myself and the other riders. I made sure she was in every exercise. Then when it came to making the, the cover of the video, the, the guy I have doing that sends it to me on the computer and he sends me some different things. And one of them is me on my bike in a full lean to the left. And this girl, her name is Marianne. She's leaning completely to the right, right behind me. So I said to my wife, what do you think of that cover? You know, she doesn't, I know she doesn't want to say, well, maybe, you know, Marianne doesn't need to be on there. You know, so I said, no, that's perfect. That's what we're going to do. So for about three months after we got all those videos in, and that was the cover, because we do them right here. My wife takes them, she puts them in the package and we mail them out here. So every day for three months, my wife is looking at Marianne on the cover, <laughs> not her. So I take her out to practice. Suddenly, suddenly she's down to make an 18 foot turns like nothing. So it was a little bit of negative motivation that got my wife into the top 2%. Hey, you know, whatever works. That's whatever what I works. say. Positive I use, got to that 5%. Now a yeah. little bit of negative for three more percent. Yeah. So now she's on the cover of the videos along with, with, uh, with myself. <laughs> So you focus mainly on, on slow speed stuff or is there like any higher speed, anything like over 30 or anything like that? Not that we do. The, the, the fastest thing we do is, is a, a break and, and swerve exercise that we do at 20 miles per hour. Uh, but our, our insurance, uh, you know, it, yeah. it take, it's a whole different company to, to get high speed stuff in there. Yeah. And motor officer training we did the first week was all low speed stuff. And you couldn't do the high speed stuff till you mastered the low speeds, which made sense yeah. to me. And then they took us out on the track where our speeds got up to about uh, 60 to 70 miles an hour. But you had to learn the low speed stuff first. Okay. Okay. I've been on a, a fact finding mission for this past year, all 2019. I, I became an MSF rider coach. I've taken advanced classes, a bunch of beginner classes all over again, just to kind of see what I could pick up. Um, I've never taken a class from you or, or I haven't got the DVD or anything like that yet. Is there like a, do you have like a general overview? That way I have an understanding of what's truly going on. Well, what I could do is I'll send you one of my Ride Like a Pro videos. It's two hours long. The first hour is the course that I teach. Okay. And, and the second hour is the actual motor officer course. And and we send you a, a booklet that shows how to set up each of the exercises. Okay. And, and what I would suggest to you is to, you know, spend a few hours practice. Because I know when people come to my class, they've got my video and they practice before they get there. They are day and night above the, the average student. Awesome. But I'll send that to you. And you practice, put a little practice in. And then come on down to the course here. Where are you at? I, well, I'm in I'm in Arizona, but the goal for uh, 2020 is to go travel around and and take different classes and meet different people and and do some some fun stuff. I've spent two years here just trying to find uh, what I can do here. Now it's time for me to branch out and do some other stuff. But I would that would be great. That'd be awesome. So is that all the stuff I can do? Like I can find a parking lot. Like you, you have like an idea of like okay, find a parking lot. It's like this. And here's the cone setup. Now go ahead and do it. Is that what it is? Yeah, we, we give you a, a, the cone setup and, and the measurements and everything with it, with the video. And also I repeat them on the video. And we now got it on USB so that, you know, you could take it and plug it into your phone with that little adapter. Yeah. You watch each exercise. And, and on the video, we show the mistakes that you're likely to make because they're always the same mistakes as well as doing it the correct way. So you'll know immediately. Oh yeah, I remember seeing that in the video. I didn't turn my head fast enough. I waited yeah. too long, you know, that type of thing. 
Yeah, that's huge. That and counterbalancing. I think uh, a lot of people will start turning their head. It's like, okay, we got that step. Now let's do more counterbalancing. Let's let's do a little bit more weight to the inside, outside, all the different stuff. Yeah, that's yeah, really we, cool. If I, I stress the, the head and eyes friction zone and the rear brake. And depending on the rider, I see some riders want to lean with their motorcycle. If they're mm -hmm. doing that um, a little bit too much, I'll get on them about that and explain about counterbalancing. But I don't stress that so much because at 24 feet, you could just stay straight up in the motorcycle and let the bike lean under you, no problem. The, when I find if I want to make a 16-foot turn, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move my butt all the way over to the high yeah. side. But I don't want to throw too much at them. Now, I'll get riders that come back that were pretty good, and they'll come back to the class, and I give them what I call the cruel, right, like a pro course. <laughs> where I, I do narrow stuff down to 18 feet, and then I tell them all about the counterbalance and everything else. But initially, uh, I, I'm, not, I'm stressing on just those. That's, those three things are enough, believe me. Okay. And, and, and the reason the course is like four or five hours, depending on the size of the class, is because I found through – I experimented for six months uh, to find out what the – the, the exact amount of hours should be. And I found four to five hours for the average person is like a full day's workout because they're so tense. You know, oh, yeah. if you just stood and tried to flex your muscles for 20 minutes and that's a lot with you know, what they're doing. So they're tired out. They are mm. done after four or five hours. Occasionally I'll get somebody who wants more than that and they're ready for it and they're in good physical condition and I'll stay with them in the class as long as they want. Uh, in fact, I'll get riders down sometimes I've got a big class and the 10 riders and two of them are really good. I'll get those riders down to motor officer size in, in, inside of those four or five hours. Oh, very cool. And, and they bring whatever bike they have, right? So that do you have sport bike riders or is it mainly Harley riders? Cause they want to see that. I would say it's 90% Harleys, uh, probably about 5% BMWs, maybe 2%, uh, uh, sport bikes. And, uh, we're starting to get some Indian riders now. And I also found out on, on Indians, and I, I don't know why this is, but if the Indian bike tips over, they don't have a bank sensor. They just keep going right on the ground. And I, I tell it to be, yeah, I don't know why they do that, but hmm. uh, it's pretty dangerous. I've had riders, and I tell them, if your bike tips over, make sure you hit that kill switch because the bike is going to keep going. If you hang on to the handlebars, it's going to drag you with it. That's that's uh, something. I mean, I, I just I have an Indian, but I've never tested dropping it. So I wouldn't know. I had a Harley that I've dropped a few times and yeah, it shut off. So that's, yeah, yeah never well, thought you know, of that. All you got to do is start your bike up and, and uh, you know, keep the clutch in, just lay it over on the ground. And, and I'll bet you'll find if it's the big Indian, now the, the yeah. smaller ones, I'm not sure about, but, okay. but the, any of the, the full size touring bikes, just lay it down on the ground. If it doesn't cut out, cut out, you know that you don't have a bank sensor or the bank sensors are, aren't very sensitive. It's, it's happened every Indian rider who's come to my class and dropped the bike. The bike just keeps on going. Oh, wow. Does all, does your techniques work for, for any bike really like sport bikes, anything? If it has two wheels, one in the front and one in the back, it works. Right. Cool. I like that you're, you're teaching to the human because you're talking about your instincts, not doing what it should be doing. Like you need to fight those instincts, um, when you're on a motorcycle. That's that's something I have to struggle with sometimes. Well, you're not alone. A lot of people struggle. <laughs> In fact, so many people ride for for years on what I what I call, and I did it myself on instinct. You know, if you don't have mm -hmm. any training, you're just using what your brain tells you. And it's a funny thing, but when it comes to riding a motorcycle, the brain is telling you all the wrong stuff. It's like the devil on your shoulder. Look at yeah. that car. Look at him. Keep staring at him. Yeah. He might pull out in front of you. That type of thing. And and we see in the class, they you know I I, I they have people. Who, I call it fish eyes. 
they they want to look fish have eyes on the sides of their head yeah. so so what they do is they, they they turn their eyes looking at the place they shouldn't be looking at the brain is telling them <laughs> like, no i see you you got fish eyes look for the green cone that's the only place you need to focus on so uh, yeah. during your classroom stuff, I, I typically in my classroom, I'll, I'll have a student that it almost feels like they're going to fail out like within the first two exercises. I'm like really concerned about their safety. Maybe they're going to run into somebody. But then when it comes to the testing and, and towards the end of the class, they're probably the best student. Like they're not thinking about stuff or whatever it is. They just do it. Do you have like any really crazy success stories like that? Uh, I, I have had students that are, that I, I think, you know, I watch them the very first exercise and I'm saying, man, this is going to be this is going to be awful. And and about halfway through the class, we call it the light comes on and suddenly yeah. they turn around. And I, I see that quite a bit. And then I have some that just will not get it. You know, there's no way it's going to happen. In fact, I filmed one young young lady. Her name is Lauren. And I did, I think, three videos on her. I had her come back for a private lesson because she had the will. She just didn't have uh, it took her long. And some people it takes longer. But if you have the will and you really want to learn, uh, you can do it. I have other people who, who are really bad. And I tell them you need to come back for a private lesson. I never hear from them again. I know that they didn't have the will. I had one guy who could not make a U-turn in 300 feet. <laughs> I mean, it was pitiful. And I, I had a sportster with me that day. He was on an electric light and I got him on the sportster. And after three hours, I got him down to 40 foot U-turns on the sportster. But, but there was no quit in this guy. So he came back then to a week later and did the whole course on the sportster in 24 feet and wow. was proud, proud of himself. And then the third week he came back again and he thought he was getting on the sportster. I said, no, no, try your, on your own bike. He was down to 18 foot turns by the end of that class. Wow. So, but, but he just had, there was no quit. Nothing was going to stop this guy from learning. And it reminded me of myself when I took the original course, there was nothing that was going to stop me from passing that course. And, and he did it. And you know, there's, there's some people who come there and they, they don't have that will. And yeah, you're probably never going to get any better. You know, if it's, if you don't train and you don't have the want and need and desire to be a good rider, you're never going to be a good rider. It's, it's that yeah. simple. It's probably like anything else. Mm -hmm. And you got, you get a lot of comments. I was reading through uh, your comment section and you can definitely tell that there's people that have been there for maybe three, six months or whatever. And they finally comment and saying, you know what, I've been practicing, practicing, practicing. Thank you so much for putting out these videos. Do you get more of that? Uh, than you do, let's say, like in, in person, um, in your in your classes? Do you get a lot more people just saying, wow, these videos help me um, and, you know, compared to the class or vice versa? Which which one do you think is probably helping the people out the most, do you think? Well, you know, if the people do it, I, I, I suggest and, and uh, from the YouTube videos, yeah, they're going to get better if they actually get my video and follow along because there's a certain order you really need to learn these okay. things. And I find a lot of people want to go directly to the U-turn and, and they have a lot of problems. If, if instead they first learn the, the slow race and then the slow cone weed, which gets the bike dipping from side to side and then start with a big circle and then the U-turn, the U-turn becomes easy. And I find that in, in my class that, that that's what happens. Uh, but so many people that, you know, I, I guess they're in a rush. They want to go. They want to learn this one particular thing. And I, no matter how many times I try to tell them, you know, it's that you're doing it the wrong way. I've even had people tell me, well, I was doing what you told me and I hit the curb. I, said, I never, never told you to practice on the street with a curb. <laughs> Find an empty parking lot. How hard could that be? Three yeah. parking spaces is 27 feet. Try to start there. Start with four. I mean, nobody's watching you. What's the difference? 
but know that your bike can do two parking spaces. So if you get down to two and a half parking spaces, you're doing really good. You get down to two, you're doing great. So definitely follow step by step by step how you have it set up in your video and in your class versus just finding that one U-turn video that you talk about or multiple U-turn videos and just doing that. Yeah, so it's you, for sure. It's it's a process. You know, it's it's like uh, playing a musical instrument. You, you know, right. you're not going to start with, if you're playing the piano, you're not going to start with Chopin. You're going to start with chopsticks and, and, and then learn where to put <laughs> your fingers. And, you know, that makes sense. This is very, uh, your, your training is, is very interesting. So you're, you're down in Florida, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So do, do you, do you have it set up with the DMV there or is it just more so like here, we're going to train, we're going to learn, and then you go ahead and take your class or your uh, test after, or do you have testing process during your class? Well, no, we, we only uh, teach people who already have their motorcycle oh, okay. They have to have it before they come to us. Okay. So okay. We, ha we have nothing to do with the DMV or the, the MSF or any of that. Awesome. I, I like that. There's not. An, I don't think there's enough um, past the beginner classes that get you your testing. I think there's there's plenty of higher speed and and crazy technique type stuff. Um, I don't think there's enough, especially for bigger bikes. That's a huge market share on on the road. Are the the bigger bikes, the the touring bikes, the Harleys, the Indians, versus uh, a lot of the the sport bikes. And I think this benefits the most. Uh, the bigger bikes benefits the most from slower speed stuff. Um, do you think that's, that's why you see more in, uh, Harleys or is it just because you're, you ride a Harley and they want to get with the motor man? Is that what that is? Well, no, I think that, you know, with smaller bikes and, and even sport bikes, if a bike weighs 500 pounds, yeah, you could muscle it around a bit, but you're not going to muscle around an 850 pound or 950 pound motorcycle. So people probably get tired of, uh, dropping their bikes or duck walking the bike around, you know, and then they see, they see what the bike can actually do on YouTube or if they watch a motor officer and they realize that, wait a minute, you know, they, they think that the bike isn't capable of it. But yeah. Once they see somebody doing it, especially with somebody like my wife doing it, whipping that bike around like a toy, then they know that, wait a minute, there's, there's something out there that uh, I don't know. Somebody knows something I don't know and I want to know how to do it. And do you just do it in Florida or is, or do you go, do you have uh, franchises or anything like that around the country? I, I've got, I, I, my class is held in Newport, Ritchie, Florida. Okay. And that's the one that I teach. Then I have a, one in, in West Palm, one in Miami, Jacksonville, and then we're spread out through, throughout the country. I think it's a total of 22 schools here in the wow. States and uh, one in Japan. Wow. That's really cool. And it's all based on more so the, the motorcycle police training. Right. right. It's it's based on the police training, the, the techniques, but the exercises are stretched out to 24 feet. And, and all the classes work at the same way, using the same terms and the same exercises. And uh, even my guy out in, in Japan, this this guy came to me and he was a, he was an excellent rider in Japan. You can take the actual motor officer course for free. But huh. but people, if you have a Harley in Japan, it's, it's a status symbol because they cost like 50, 60 grand over there. Oh, wow. uh, so so they don't they don't want to go there and drop their bike. And, and uh, I guess they want to go to something that's specifically for Harley Davidson. So this guy came all the way over from Japan, had an interpreter with him and uh, was an excellent rider to begin with. But he was more like a Jim Connor type rider. Uh -huh. You've seen, you've seen that stuff. Oh, so yeah. I, I had to show them a little bit different technique to teach the people because trying to do Jim Connor on a 900 pound bike <laughs> with the clutch fully extended and, and you know, you, you really yeah. can't, it, it might be able to do it, but uh, it, it's not a good thing to be teaching people on that size bike. So, but he picked it up really in, in 20 minutes. He was 
he was using my technique. In fact, I, I have a video on YouTube where he's following me through the entire course and doing great. And he went over there and he's done very well with it. Despite the fact that, like I said, these people, if you have a sport bike, whatever, you can take that lease course for, for free. Uh, but they still come to him and, and he's doing pretty well with the course, doing it, I think, two or three times a week uh, for, for half the year. Because I guess it gets pretty cold over there, uh, just like it does, you know, yeah. up north. Do you have anything closer to the West Coast? Uh, well, any? No. I, unfortunately, I am trying to get and have been trying to get motor officers out there. But I, I think uh, I think what happens in, in California when a motor officer retiring, they're probably making 100 grand as a retired officer. So mm -hmm. they don't want to do anything else. But yeah. I'd love to get, if, you know, I hope, hope there's a motor officer out there. What you got to do is if you're already a motor officer, you come and see me. I show you how to, how to use the how to set up my course and to do exactly the way I'm doing it and, and uh, pay a small franchise fee and, and you're good to go. I think the furthest out there, we have New Mexico. Uh, okay. I, I, we just got a course out there, but uh, I would love to have at least one school in in, uh, uh, in every state. And also we have one in Texas too. Okay. And the, the goal of, of, of why you're doing this, uh, like my goal of why I'm doing this is to uh, focus on pe making people safe. And, and like, that's why I do everything. So like, what's your, like your principles behind like this, your, why you're doing this? Well, when I, when I took the motor office course, after I finished, I said to myself, this is unbelievable. Everybody should know this. It's a lifesaver. And if you if you think you know how to ride now, if, imagine how much more fun it would be if you actually knew what the hell you were doing. So I, I just want to show people that there's a much better way. You enjoy riding so much more. It's a lifesaver. And uh, it's just an amazing difference when you actually know some technique. You'll enjoy riding. You'll be a safer rider. And if that's the whole game, I mean, you, you ride a motorcycle because it's fun. Yeah. Well, it's not so much fun if you drop your bike all the time or you can't avoid a crash. But when you can do that and make yourself safer and make riding much more fun, it's it's just a whole new world. Mm -hmm. And that's why I do it. I'll have sometimes where one rider will sign up for my course. I'll go there and teach. I'll set everything up, spend the hour and a half to set up the course and put that guy through it because it's not the money. I want to make sure that anybody who wants to take my course, who wants to be a better writer, I'm going to make them a better writer. And I put all that free stuff on YouTube because for the same reason, that's mm -hmm. millions of people that I'm reaching out there that I'll never meet. But, I, you know, they tell me about it. You see the comment section, how I've changed their lives and made yeah. writing so much better. And it's a wonderful feeling. I got into police work because I like to help people. But a lot of times in police work, you're shoveling shit against the tide. But <laughs> with, with this, yeah. I, I, I could teach people how to do this stuff and change their lives. And, and there's nobody that could tell me I can't do it. That's true. That I understand the whole, uh, I'd be out on shift or something and maybe I would help two people, but then I did so much paperwork or all this training for no real reason. And then I'll make one video and I'll get maybe 50 to a hundred comments of how it's helped somebody. So it's really, it, it, to me, it feels like it's a lot bigger. I'm doing more of an impact on people doing this. Uh, have hey, you, you thought, go ahead. You, you're a fireman and an EMT. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's yeah. what we have here in Pasco County. All the firemen are also EMTs. I have a funny story about that if you'd like to hear. Yeah, go ahead. I stopped this guy one time, and he, I forget what, I think he was speeding. As I walk up to the car, he's got his wallet out so that I could see his badge, you know, and he's holding, he's holding his license. So I see that, and I put on my Southern cop routine. So I walk up, and I go, what you got there? You got one of them there badges? And he goes, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm a, a fireman EMT. 
I says, oh, so that means you don't have to obey the laws. You could, you run over some little kid and you just show the, the mother that badge and she'll say no problem. So now nah, he's really nervous. He thinks I found the last redneck cop in Florida. So he gives me his license. His hand is shaking a little bit. And I come back to him and I just write him a warning. And, and I said, did you, did you like that Southern accent? Was that pretty good? So he, he gets a little mad, you know, they did that to him. <laughs> Two months later, I'm riding down on my police bike. I'm going through this intersection. Car that it's I'm about to pass decides he's going to join my lane and I see him coming. I accelerate to get past him. He just clips my rear bag, knocks the bike over. I'm sliding about 50 feet on the ground. This happened. I'm probably going 45, 50 miles an hour. Wow. So I'm sliding on the ground with the bikes. When the bike stops, I tumble into a sitting position and I'm, I'm in the middle of this intersection. And right there is an ambulance. So as luck would have it, they pull up. And they jump out. They got the stretcher and everything. And, and I said, you know, I don't think I need to go to the hospital. I, I'm feeling okay. And he goes, no, no, you, do you have Affleck? Because most of the county workers here have Affleck. He says, they pay you 300 bucks if you go if you take a trip yeah. to the hospital. So I said, okay. And then I remembered, yeah, and if you take the helicopter, it's 600 bucks. I said, can't you get me a helicopter? So they wouldn't do it. So <laughs> they put the thing around my neck. And I'm laying there on the stretcher. They put me in the ambulance. And one of the guys goes, uh, that leg looks pretty bad. Now, I just had, it was wintertime, so I had long johns on them and the padded pants that they give us, and it was ripped, but my leg wasn't bothering me. My shoulder was bothering me. And he goes, that leg looks really bad. I said, you know, it's, it's okay. He says, can you feel me touching your leg? And I go, no, but he's not really touching my leg. I don't realize that. <laughs> so he goes, yeah, you're, you're going to lose that leg. And I goes, but it doesn't hurt me at all. So finally he goes, you remember the Southern cop, the fireman you pulled over? Uh, he <laughs> well, got was you. the same guy. He got me back. I couldn't believe it. Every once in a while, I run into somebody just like me. That's so awesome. That, I mean, cops and, and, and firefighters have that humor. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, a, it's an emergency situation where you're like, oh, crap, am I going to lose my leg? But then he's messing with you. Only we could do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I said, yeah, I deserved it. You know, I was, I, I like a good joke. That was pretty good. I said, especially uh, since my leg's not hurting me at all. And you tell me I'm going to lose it. Yeah. That is, that is, that is hilarious. So basically like what, the last real good, real, real question that, that I would like to ask is, uh, is, uh, when it comes to the police training, you know, you say it's top 2% uh, of riders, um, in the world, basically is, is that mainly the, like the U S training or have you looked at, you know, let's say European training, UK training, do they have something different than, than what you do that you implement? I found it. And it's a strange thing that in the UK, uh, they don't do this type of training. They they just strictly hmm. take them out on the road and, and train them there. And also in Germany, they because uh, I have a friend who's a, a German motor officer. He says, no, we never did anything like this. It's strictly on the road type training. They never uh, rode the cones or did any of that stuff. I know that in Japan, their training is, is even is much more severe than what we have here. And they, they turn out some phenomenal riders. But I mean, they got yeah. a you know, racetrack at 150 miles an hour and, and they do what we do, plus much more. But uh, pretty much, I believe this this type of motor officer training is is strictly for this country and possibly uh, Canada. I, okay. I know that not everyone in Canada, every motor officer has it, but many of them have had the exact same training. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you just froze up on me now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there we go. We're back. We'll, we're good. There's a lot. I'll, I'm I'm pretty good at editing. I sit sit in my room and I do all this stuff. So. Editing is new to me, and I just started about six months ago, and it's it's very tedious. I, oh, I appreciate yeah. I appreciate your editing efforts. <laughs> I watch your stuff, and I say, man, that takes a lot of time to do that. 
it's, it, it does. And that's kind of like where I came from with my expertise. Like I would do this stuff. And then I like how you have the background in just straight motorcycles. And like, that's your, you're an expert at that. You're absolutely compared to like me and most other people, the expert there. Me, I'm just, I'm tinkering with the motorcycle stuff as much as I can, learning as much as I can, and then trying to orate and, and show people through video, audio, all that different stuff, what they can learn and who to learn from. So that's my biggest thing that I do. So that's kind of where my expertise is. Well, you do a great job with your videos, dissecting the, the crashes. I also do expert witness stuff. And, and uh, occasionally I've said, you know, uh, if I, if there's something that I can't take, maybe I'll send it to you because you, you would fit into that category and, and it pays very well. It's just that you have to deal with lawyers, but yeah, you have to deal with lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> That's always fun. Yeah. yeah. The whole after action review stuff. I mean, just probably, I don't know what they do with police, but I know in firefighting, the after action review, we would watch close calls of firefighters collapsing through roofs. We would watch, you know, it's a, a blevy situation with the uh, hazardous materials. And then we'd learn from it. We'd pick, you know, what the firefighters did wrong. We picked what they did right. And then we do something about it. And sometimes they die in the video or in the report and we learn not to do that. And that's what I try to do with motorcycle accidents. And that's how I pull from my background. Um, so, I mean, I, I absolutely love the fact that you're pulling from the police background and showcasing, hey, this is how you can do stuff. And I think more people need to do that with the motorcycle community. Yeah, I, I, I wish every single person who got on, I wish it was mandatory that they had to take a course like mine because MSF does a good job of turning out amateurs. Our goal is to turn out professional riders. And, and, there's some, and I know a lot of people won't go back to take experienced riders course at MSF because really they bore the crap out of you in the two and a half days that they spend with you. They tell you, uh, you know, so many things that, you know, it, it, to me, you don't really need to know to get down the basic operation of a motorcycle. And they, I, they do tell these people after they finish that, that beginner course that now you know how to the, the proper techniques to learn how to be a good rider. You need to practice what you've learned here. But I know that the vast majority never do. Uh, and that's that's a huge thing. It's, and, and I and I do believe that last statement where it's like, OK, now you know how to learn and what path you should be going on. But then there's no what's next. And a lot of people don't do what's next. And I think that's where they look at YouTube and, and then they try to find some type of advanced class. And then, yeah, so definitely after your beginner class, you need to do more. You definitely need to do more. You're not yeah, absolutely 100 percent ready. It never ends, you know, yeah. with motorcycling. I, I've got a lot of things in mind that I still want to do. Uh, I'd like to do some dirt bike stuff because I never had any experience with that. Uh, and there's some great dirt bike courses and maybe some some uh, track days. But, but I would like to do it on, you know, on my own bike because that's that's what I'm, I'm riding the majority of the time. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you have planned for uh, 2020? I mean, it's the beginning of the year. Do you have like an idea of more franchises or you want to put out a new course or are you just going to keep doing what you're doing and, and hopefully reach more and more people? Mainly to reach more and more people. The course I've got works. It works great. And, and I've turned out some actually professional writers who, who go into competition now. And some of them, will, they are so good, they allow them in the police competition. And I'm proud of that fact. And I uh, turned out a, a couple of top gun riders. And, and I've even had uh, two of my students, the uh, husband and wife, who won a police rodeo with. And they're not police officers, but that's yeah. how good they are. Uh, and, and I think that w where I'm at now, I just want to spread out and get this word out every place. If I can get more, more uh, schools out on the, the West Coast, I'd like to get one in, at least in, in every single state. Okay, very cool, man.